Uh, we're going to start a new series today that I hope you all will enjoy. It's going to be a series on the parables uh, of Jesus. The parables of Jesus uh, are extremely important. I think we kind of overlook them. We put them in a class of literature all their own, and we sort of read them like fables, like Aesop's fables or other things. Um, and it's because Jesus used these parables, and he spoke from everyday life, from farming, from uh, lamps under bushel baskets, uh, trees uh, uh, giving shade to birds, uh, lost sheep, lost coins, lost sons. And so the, just the very nature of a parable it tends to make us move it into perhaps a category that um, can cause us not to get the, the, fu- the full meaning. A full 35%, maybe more, depending on how you really interpret the, the uh, New Testament documents, at least 35% of Jesus' teaching was made up of uh, these parables. And through the series, I'm going to suggest, and I hope that you will plug this in, that the parables cannot be properly understood apart from the person and work of Jesus himself. In other words, if you take the parables just on their own, they just end up being good moral lessons, you know, how to be good, how to do the right thing, sort of. But when you when you integrate them with the person and work of Jesus, when you see how they're connected to Him, to His kingdom, then they take on a completely different complexion. And uh, that's going to be my attempt through the series. And I'll keep reminding you of that. Stories are very unique. If you look at your Bible, and, and if, you, if you were to take the Bible and pull out just the rules, just the instructional rules, your Bible would maybe be 20 pages long. There's not that many rules in your Bible. The vast majority of the Scripture, the overwhelming majority of your Scripture, are stories, narratives. And a narrative is very interesting. If you read about, I'm reading Le Mis, Le Miserables right now by Victor Hugo. I've been reading it for two years. It's driving me crazy. I started reading it two years when I got sick, and I thought, well, it would be a good way for me to occupy my time, and I won't have to, you know, uh, be concerned about my disease. Well, it made me more miserable. Anyway, I'm still reading it. But what happens is stories are unique because they're windows. They let you see into things. They're also pictures. They let you look at something. But they're also mirrors. They reflect back to you something. All stories do that, and the parables are masterful. They are unique. No one, no one in all of human history used parables, although other people have tried. Rabbis used them, and people in the, in the East used them in the ancient areas. But no one used them like Jesus, and nobody used them at the complexity and simplicity that he used them. And so understanding how these parables work is as as important as understanding the details of the parable. And that's what we're going to do. And I picked uh, the first parable that we're going to look at is one that's commonly known as the sower uh, that sows the seed from uh, all three of the synoptic gospels. It's printed in your bulletin. And I'm going to read only the first uh, first 
20 verses of this, but there's actually three parables in this little discourse that Jesus gives. And so now hear God's word and we'll, we'll get going. Mark chapter 4. We're going to look at Mark chapter 4, the first 20 verses of Mark 4. Hear the word of God. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. When the sun rose, it was scorched and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell on good ground and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, it is in parables so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? Now listen closely. Starting in verse 14, He is going to give the key, the cipher, the codex, if you will, to understanding all parables. This is the only parable that he really goes into this detail and explains. And it's for this reason. And I'll go into it in more detail. But pay attention to how he interprets the parable. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the Word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the Word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown in the rocky ground. The ones when they hear the Word immediately, they receive it with joy, but they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. When tribulation, persecution arises on account of the Word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. And they are those who hear the Word, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things enter in and choke the Word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that are sown on good soil are the ones who hear the Word and accept it and bear fruit thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. This is the Word of the Lord. What is... The key to understanding these parables. If you look in your Bible, most of you will see that the the parable is entitled, The Sower Sows the Seed. 
It's been called and is well known by the parable of the sower. Uh, in some commentaries, uh, it's called the parable of the four soils. And so right away, us, we zero in on the details of the parable. Is it about the seed? Is it about the soil, the different kinds of soil and the different kind of crops uh, that are produced? And there's all kinds of stuff that goes along with that. And I'll try to get into a little bit of that. And then there's the sower who's unnamed and we know he's out there slinging the seed. And so there's this whole idea, what is the real meaning? And if it's not just a moral and ethical lesson, if it's not just a lesson on how you're to live, then what is it? What is the secret? What is the mysterion that Jesus talks about in this passage when He mildly rebukes them for not understanding what He's talking about? He says, don't you understand this one? How are you going to understand all of them if you don't understand this one? And so I'm going to give you the key to understanding this parable. And I don't do it arrogantly. I mean, I've read, I can't tell you how much, I didn't know what to do after finishing First Peter and I told the session, I don't know what to do. And it took a lot of time and prayer, but I think this is where we want to go because this is what infused Peter and the other apostles. This made up a whole part of what they believed about the Gospel and how they proceeded into the world to change the world. And folks, we want to change our world today. We want to be different in our world. We want to actually bring salt and light to our world. So understanding this is of immense importance. Is it about the seed? Is it about the soil? Or, I'm going to make the case for, I think it's about the secret. The mystery of the Gospel. The mystery that Jesus wanted from the very beginning to inculcate into His disciples so that they would be able to then look at every parable through the glasses, through the lens of this understanding, this secret. And if you get this, the New Testament is going to take on a whole different, uh, hopefully not completely different, but a whole richer view for you. So was it about the seed? Clearly, he says the seed is the Word of God. We're going to look at the seed, the soil, and of course the secret. So that's your basic outline. But was it about the seed? This Word of God, he calls it the verse 14, the Word of God is the seed. What is the Word of God? Is it your entire Bible? Yes. In one sense, it's the entire Bible that you hold in your lap. But in another sense, and specifically in the context of this, Jesus was talking about a certain word, a particular word. And that word was the gospel of the kingdom of God. He made much of it. The, the gospel writer Mark made much of it in chapter 1 and never brings it up again until now. And so a reader or a hearer of these narratives is supposed to go, wow, the kingdom of God was a big deal a couple chapters ago and it hasn't been mentioned since. Lots happened in those few, few chapters. And all of a sudden now he's talking about kingdom again. I better find out what he's talking about. He's talking about the gospel of the kingdom, the word. 
What is a kingdom? Jesus' view of the kingdom and the church's view of the kingdom until it became corrupted later on in church history when the, when the, the church began to think it was the kingdom of God and that it should take over the world politically and militarily and all the rest. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God, the announcement, this is the gospel of the kingdom, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, was an announcement. It was news. It was an announcement to the world that the king had been born. The king that... Not only Israel longed for, but really in truth the whole world is longing for a king. Someone to come and straighten out the mess that everyone agrees we live in. Every religion, every religion in the world tries to figure out what's going on in this world. How do we straighten it out? Do we need more politics, more money, more weapons, more armies, more education? What is it that will fix the world? And the gospel writers say, hey, this is fixing the world. This will fix the world. The gospel, the announcement, the news that the great king we've all been looking for, we've all been waiting for, who will correct all things, who will take power and authority over this world. The eruption, not eruption like a volcano, but eruption from the outside, the inbreaking of heaven to earth. That's what the gospel is. And it's about a person and about a people. A person and his people. The person is Jesus. The people, who are the people? They're the poor. Not just monetarily poor, but those of us whose lives are broken and hurting. Poor in spirit. Impoverished. Enslaved to sin. I could ask for a show. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I could ask how many of you are absolutely 100% successful at defeating every sin? Well, like, good luck with that. That's what John Calvin said. Good luck with that. <laughs> we're enslaved. We're blind. We have a certain blindness to us. We're oppressed. We're guilt-ridden. You know, we don't know what to do with our sins, so we try to be good and make up for it. And we always know that it's just not enough. We try to do more and more and more, but it's just not enough. So in desperation, we start comparing ourselves to others and we say things like, well, that person's a lot worse than me. Well, so what? That person over there is a lot better than you. What are you going to do with that? So there you are. What do we do with our guilt? What do we do with our broken hearts? It's Father's Day. Kathy Keller says that a parent, she talks about mothers, but fathers too. Men, if you have a child who's away from the Lord, who's strayed, who's, who's gone off the rails, who's not, you know, not doing well, you can never be any happier than that child. Your heart is always breaking for that child, just as much as the mother, just as much as the women. Just because we don't show it, ladies, doesn't mean that we hurt just as bad. For our kids, for people around us, for our marriages. We feel just as deeply as you do, ladies. We handle it differently. We tell dirty jokes. 
We act macho. We drink beer and pretend we don't care. But you know what we really do? We care deeply and our hearts break. What do you do with your broken heart? Dr. William Hendrickson in his commentary said this, listen, the gospel is a message of good news which God addresses to a world lost in sin. A message of good news to a world lost in sin. Now listen to this. He just takes a stake and drives it in the heart of religion and kills religion with this next statement. Listen to what he said. The gospel is not what we must do, but what God has done in Christ for you. If you take the parables and you say, oh, they're just moral lessons, how i got to live, they're going to crush you. They're going to kill you. They're going to destroy you. Because you cannot measure up to the Ten Commandments, nor the Golden Rule, nor anything else that's in the Bible for that matter. You must have a Savior who comes into your world and does it for you. And then tells you, now that I've done it for you, you don't have to do it yourself? No. He tells you, now that I've done it for you, Go and do likewise. And when you mess up, run to me. Run to me when you mess up. And then go back again. Trust me. Don't rely on your good works. Rely on me. And the good works will then flow out of you. Jesus doesn't fulfill the law so that we don't have to. He fulfills the law so that you can go and do it without fear of being rejected and defeated and trying to make brownie points and get extra merit for your good works. If you live that way, Christianity is going to be odious to you and I'm not going to recommend it. Neither did C.S. Lewis, neither did anybody else, uh, any other good gospel preaching commentary or theologian. They all said, unless you look to Jesus, unless you look to what He's done for you, the gospel will crush you. And I'm saying the same thing Dr. Hendrickson is saying. The parables are not what we must do, but what God has done for us. And when you see that, you see that that's the seed that the, that the sower is sowing. He's got his, his bag or his basket and he's, he's just throwing. I watched a documentary last night about the war in Afghanistan and they were throwing seed like this to, to uh, uh, sow their, their crops. They don't have all the machinery. So is it about the seed? Well, yes and no. It is about the seed. The seed is the Word of God. Is it about the soil? Yes and no. Let's look at the soil. There's four scenarios. You all, those of you that have been in church probably heard this a hundred times. And so this is nothing new to you. He talks about four soils. The soil along the path. The path is uh, the Greek word for road or highway. So if you had a field and you had a road or a path next to it where people walked, that ground was hard and packed down. It wasn't soft. And so when the, when the seeds, you know, these guys are throwing seeds by hand, the seeds are going everywhere. And then what they did in Palestine, in Israel, in that day, was they would sow the ground, then they would plow the ground. They would, they would plow it up first, then they would sow, then they would go back and plow it again to till the soil, you know, to till the, the seed down into the soil, and whatever sprang up, sprang up. They didn't have these neat, nice little rows like we do in our farms, and you know, all that kind of stuff. 
He just grew a big, you know, a room this size was probably a guy's farm. And that's what he managed. He sowed it by hand. He plowed it often by hand, especially the poor. They didn't have, you know, ox and teams of livestock. Uh, That was for more wealthy people. So some fell along the path. And Jesus says, these are the ones that Satan comes. And before it even takes root, before it even can bring, uh, spring up or anything, Satan comes and devours it. It never gets in. It never penetrates. And then there's the rocky soil. These are people who hear uh, the gospel immediately and oh, they get so excited. We see them in church all the time. Maybe you've been one of those people. Oh, I'm so excited about Jesus. And they come to church and they get all excited. And you know, they come for a few weeks and then we hear their testimony and they're all jazzed up about the gospel and they can't wait to give, let me serve. Let me do something in the church. Give me a ministry. And we give them a ministry. And well, you know, and they start tithing to the church and so we start spending their money. Next thing we know, what happens to them? Hey, they disappear. And you, 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 know, you meet them at Starbucks. Hey, where you been? Oh, I've been really busy. I can't go to church. You know, so, and after a while, and I'm, I'm telling you a true story. I call them. Where you been? What's going on? Well, I'm busy. Call them in a few weeks. Where you been? I'm seeing you in a few weeks. And guess where my phone call goes? Where? Voicemail goes to voicemail. After that, they don't want to see me. When, I'm in, when I go in Sam's and I see them, their, their cart does a U-turn, like, <laughs> my God, there's Chuck. You know. He might latch onto me like a vampire and try to suck all my blood. Please. Yeah, if we get, get all excited, give me something, give me something. Let me do your website. Let me do your, let me do, let me do, let me do. And then, bye-bye. Some people are like that. How about thorns? They hear the word, it sprouts up, it matures, it gets going really good. They're in the church, they're, they're sitting in the pews, everything's going great, but you can tell that slowly and slowly something's happening, they're getting choked. And like I said a few weeks ago, uh, when uh, uh, Pastor Merle, Dr. Merle was here uh, a few weeks ago, and I, I asked the question, when do they come see us? When do they come seek help? they're already too late. That's when they come to the church, is it's too late. And so I urge you, if you have been getting choked by the cares of this world, by the deceitfulness of riches, if your bank account is really doing good, you're in danger. You think, oh God, if I could just get my bank account here. Yeah, right. Ask anybody that has multitudes of money. They all struggle with money. Or the desires of other things. Sometimes they're even good things. He uses the word epithumia, which is a word for over-desire. It's, it's putting too much importance on things. You can actually put too much importance on church. You can put too much importance on studying theology, as important as it is. It can become everything. And, you've, and you lose the person who the theology is describing and who the theology is about. And then there's the fourth soil. The good earth. That's the exact translation. The good earth. It's plowed. It's prepared. It's broken up. It's receptive. It takes the seed in deeply. It penetrates. And it bears fruit. So, here's the question. Is it about the seed? Is it about the soil? Is it about these four types of soil? Well, yes. 
Is the soil four types of people? Yes. Are they out there in the world? Yes. But are there four types of soil in your heart, in my heart? And I'd like to suggest that if we're honest, it's in all of us. I've been in all these four places. And back again. And back again. And back again. Now I'm being transparent and I, you know, I can only use myself as an example because you know, I don't want to use you because I'll embarrass you. But am I, is that true or not? Or am I the only one? Can affirmation, say yes or something. Say, or say no, you're the only one. I'd rather, <laughs> rather hear that than, I'd rather hear that than silence. <laughs> silence, I get very insecure. So, all right. I've been in all four scenarios. This week, I've been in all four scenarios. So it can't just be them and us. We can't separate uh, the world into them and us. We can't separate the world in, in that simply. It's more complicated than that. I was telling Scott this week at the gym, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the Gulag Archipelago, one of his most famous quotes, that the line of good and evil runs through the heart of every man. It's not them and us. It's all of us. We are all struggling all the time to control the cares of this world, the things that are just grinding us down and worry. And the rocky soil and the hard-heartedness. We all face those things. And Jesus says the key to the soil, if you want to know what the key to the soil is, it's a listening ear. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. He repeats it three, four times just in these few verses and then in his teaching in general he repeats it over and over again if you have ears to hear what well everybody has ears to hear he's not talking about the mechanics of hearing what is he talking about it's talking about when you're hearing this message this gospel of the kingdom are you going to make sure are you going to work on your heart are you going to say you know what i'm not going to be i'm going to plow my heart i'm going to let it be broken i'm going to let the word of god speak to me and correct me I'm going to have a teachable heart, a willing heart. I'm going to let it plow me up. I'm going to let the Word, the Gospel, cross me and say no to me. I want this and the Gospel says no. Or the Gospel says, I want you to have this and you say no. Whatever it is, that you will let it speak to you. Now maybe you won't go and do it, maybe you'll wrestle with it, and I think that's a good thing. Tim Keller, in his book, uh, The, the uh, King's Cross, wonderful book, Dr. Keller says this, the kingdom comes, listen, only to those who've gone to great lengths to listen. This strongly implies that the gospel is not, and he's, he's channeling Dr. Hendrickson, that he's not something you simply pick up and do. The gospel's not something you just pick up and go do it. Rather, it's something you must wrestle with. Reflect on, think it out, work it out, chew, work, grind it down. Figure out, is this really true? Don't be afraid. The Bible's not afraid of you examining it, even being skeptical about it. And if you have no doubts, I question your Christianity. Christians are people with deep doubts. 
But they don't give up. They keep pressing in. They keep moving towards the gospel. They keep working on their heart, opening it so that the word, the penetrate, the seed can penetrate that soil. Humility, openness, teachability, longing. Do you want change? We, I don't, I've never met anybody that doesn't want change, except some people that are really deluded. Most of us really want change. We want to see some real change. It may take a long time, by the way. So don't get discouraged. In fact, the longer it takes, the better it may be. And the center of gravity is the person and work of Jesus Christ the King. That's what the soil is all about. But how do you put that together? Is it about the seed? Is it about the soil? Is that what this is really about? Or is it about a secret? A mystery. A mystery that Jesus out of His own mouth said, only you, He's talking to His disciples, the ones who had done the work, who were willing to, to be spoken to, who were willing to, to, to let their, their lives be contradicted, even though they wrestled. Look, Jesus said one thing to Peter about the crucifixion, and Jesus said something else, or Peter said something else to Jesus, and Jesus said something else to Peter. Jesus said, I'm going to the cross. Peter said, may it never be. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Now I'll tell you something. You've got to have a pretty good relationship with a guy to call him Satan. Key there, by the way, is relationship. But in my experience in churches, Christians are way too touchy. They're what this uh, commentator on TV calls uh, snowflakes. Christians are snowflakes. You say something to a Christian, you, you kind of give them a mild rebuke, and I'm done with you. Don't you talk to me. My, I'm not that dumb. And I'm going to that church over there because they really teach the Bible. We don't teach the Bible here. Only they do. And I would say that Christians are snowflakes. And I told you in the last series of First Peter, you know what, folks? We've got to toughen up because this world is sometimes rough. We're getting it easy right now, but it may not be that way always. So start working out. Get those weights out, right, Scott? Start training, baby. Put, put some muscle on because we don't know what's ahead. And let's be ready. Let's be ready not to be snowflakes. Let's be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Yes? Can you do that? Can you buy into that? It's not about the seed. It's not about the soil. It's about a secret that God gives to those whose hearts are open and willing to hear the secret. Here it is. Listen carefully. We'll refer to it again in a week or two. We'll keep talking about the secret. It's really interesting. He gives the parable, these first few verses, he gives you the parable. Then they ask him, what's going on? We don't understand. We don't get it. What is the real meaning? And Jesus says to them, here's the real meaning. And I'm surprised you don't really get it, but I'm going to give it to you now because if you understand this one, listen to this, folks. If you get this, you'll understand the rest. You'll get it. You will really get what the gospel is all about. You'll get what you'll understand forevermore. Forever, today, you have the opportunity to leave Christ the King and say, I know now what religion is and I know what the Gospel is. I know the difference. 
And every day of your life, you're going to choose one or the other, either the gospel or religion. You're going to go one way or the other. We all do. All humanity does. And Jesus is going to give us the secret. When alone, when they were asked alone, in other words, between the giving of the parable there by the seaside, and sometime later, we don't know when it was, he met with them sometime later, and they came to him in private, it says, and they asked him, what is the meaning? And he says this, to you is given the secret. The mystery, the mysterion in Greek, of the kingdom. But to those outside, everything's in parables. So they may see, he quotes Isaiah chapter 6, Do you not understand this parable? He says in verse 13. How will you understand all parables? Here's the key. Why were they struggling to understand? That's the question you've got to ask. Why was everybody struggling? Was it that difficult to understand what he was saying? Really? Who doesn't get the Good Samaritan just on the face of it? Who doesn't get it? I mean, it's plain as day. What is the secret? Why is it tied to the kingdom? And why is it tied to the king? And I'll tell you very quickly, listen, and we'll get more in the weeks to come. The disciples, the religious leaders, Jesus' own parents, Mary and Joseph. Everyone was expecting a king. And everyone was looking for a kingdom. They were all looking for the king and his kingdom. But what did they get? Answer me. Answer me in your own mind. Think, what did they get? A manger. An unwed mother. Poverty. They moved into a town called Nazareth, which was the most despised city in all of of that part of the world. He was poor. He had nothing. He was a day laborer. The, The translators are kind. They call him a carpenter, thinking maybe he had some skill. But the word is technon. It means it means a day laborer, somebody that just did hard labor. Jesus was one of those men who stood on the street corner and waited for someone to come and hire him that day. And if there was no day laborer, no food that day. He didn't have a big carpentry shop with employees. He was poor. And then what does he do? He doesn't measure up. He doesn't measure up in any way and the people are conflicted. Who does he come for? Who does he come? Who does this great king come to rescue? The ones who don't deserve it. The least. The last. The lost. And then he goes the whole nine yards the other way and he insults the religious people, the righteous, the church people. Even tells him, he says, you know what? The tax collectors and the prostitutes are going to go into the kingdom of God before you. And everybody's mind is reeling. What kind of a king is this? They're excited over his power. Oh my goodness, he makes bread. Give us more bread. They follow him to the ends of the earth. Give us more bread. And when he doesn't give them bread, they say, we won't accept you unless you show us a sign. 
And it begs the question, whose bread were you just eating? They're excited about His power. They love His power. They want to make Him a king. They want to march Him into Jerusalem and say He's our king. And He goes and hides in the mountains. They don't understand His humility. They don't understand His refusal to confront Rome and take power. Even His family were conflicted. They kept trying to say He's lost His mind. John, his, his most faith, the one who announced him as being the Messiah, the Lamb of God, the one who said he was the Lamb of God. Even John in prison, the thorns were choking this. The greatest man ever born of a woman was choking. <laughs> and he sent people to Jesus. Are you the one? He could hardly get it out. Are you the one? Should we look for another? And Jesus said, go tell him the gospel. The poor have the gospel preached to them. The eyes are blind. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf can hear. Wow. The religious leaders. Here it is. The secret is. The secret. Everybody, including you and I, we're all guilty of this. We want a warrior. We want an army. We want power. And what we get is a farmer. Sowing seed. Weak. The lowest. That's what you get. You want Christianity? That's what you get, folks. And you know what? I want it because I've been there. I've been in that gutter. I've been down at the bottom and I know what it is. No king is going to come get me. But this king who left his throne, put on the robes, the dress, the poor apparel of a farmer and came into this world to rescue you and me. And every parable, everyone you're going to see, we're going to go through lots of them. Every parable underneath is all about that. The good Samaritan, the prodigal son, the lost sheep, leave the 99. Go look for the one. A penny a penny is worth more than a million dollars. Everything in Jesus, everything is upside down. And it can give us hope because then our suffering can mean something. Our heartache, our brokenness can be redeemed. Our sins can be atoned for. You see, something can really be done if the farmer comes and sows the word and lets it grow, it will produce, but it's going to take time. And we've got to trust him. How do we know? How do you know this is what the... How do you know I'm not just blowing smoke at you this morning? I'll tell you. Here's what Jesus said about his cross. About his Farming, about his agriculture, 
The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life will lose it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servants be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Do you see it? We are going to a farmer. We are following that farmer, losing our life. The kingdom is upside down. And the key to all the parables is seeing the upside down kingdom and the king who's really a farmer. Let's pray. Our God and Father, I don't even begin to get this. I would love nothing better than when Jesus was born for the armies of your host to have broken into this world and fixed everything and brought back the paradise that we lost. But this is your way, Father. And we pray that you will give us the hearts that are broken up, that are plowed, that we will receive this incorruptible seed. Do whatever it takes, whatever it costs us to find that pearl of great price that nothing will stand in our way. I know this is not for everyone, but I pray that it's for everyone in this room and that you'll let us, by your glory and by your grace, follow our great king who's a farmer casting his seed. Help us, save us, Have mercy on us, according to your grace. Amen.